Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, thank you for joining me for episode 103 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find the detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 103. I recently met a freelance writer by the name of Jennifer Gregory, and Jennifer lives in North Carolina, and she's had quite a ride in her business over the past 18 months. In 2015, she took her business for the first time to the six-figure level. She earned slightly over $100,000 in income. But then shortly after, early in the year, early in 2016, she lost some of her anchor clients and things started to fall apart very quickly. Now, what I love about Jennifer is that she didn't sit around for very long wallowing in all this negativity. She quickly went back to the drawing board. She drafted a turnaround plan and she took massive action on that plan. And within weeks, she was book solid. And 2016 is shaping up to be a banner year for her. Now, in this interview, Jennifer details her wild journey to that $100,000 income level. It took me a while to get a hold of her. I really, when I heard the story, I wanted to get all the details. And I was especially interested in, in finding out what she did to turn things around when they did fall apart. So in this chat, she's going to reveal six specific things she did that enabled her to get to this level. And then she's going to walk us through the plan that she executed to replace her lost anchor clients. Regardless of where you are in your freelance business, I think you're going to find some great ideas and inspiration in Jennifer's story. So I invite you to just kick back, relax, and enjoy the flight. No, just kidding. Kick back and enjoy this conversation with Jennifer Gregory. Jennifer, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. I'm really excited. Well, so am I, and uh, we've tried to connect for a while, and I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that uh, that you're on because you have some great stuff to share with us today. Before we get to that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, You know, where you live, what kind of work you do, what kind of clients uh, you like to write for, that, that sort of thing. Um, well, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I, I started out in technical writing and um, Eight years ago, when my um, kids went back to started school, I started my own freelance writing business. And over the years, have kind of specialized in content marketing writing. Because I worked in the software field um, before I had kids as a technical writer, I honed in on that niche and have been doing a lot of software um, technology content marketing writing. My clients um, typically seem to work with bigger clients. Um, a lot of my clients include IBM, Adobe, Microsoft, Samsung, um, Ameriprise, State Farm, Allstate. Um, so I write with a lot of big ones. And I also have some smaller ones, but um, I really love content marketing writing and um, helping other writers um, find work. Well, those are some pretty impressive names. And so you haven't been doing, I mean, you've been at this for a while, but not, you know, 25 years or anything like that. Um, did you 
find that it was difficult to, to get to that level of client in terms of, of size or, or were you able to, to get some wins like that early on? I got some wins early on. Every now and then in life, you kind of end up at the right place at the right time. I got in um, with American Express Open Forum pretty early, right as content marketing was being called content marketing writing. And this is 2010, 2011. So I got right at the edge of the curve, and it kind of went from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And have you found that it was as you get these wins, you're able to leverage them to get other wins, or are they completely unrelated typically? They're absolutely related. Um, I know that I got the um, work through Adobe because I had the IBM name, and I got the Allstate work because I had State Farm. It definitely goes it definitely builds upon each other. And I think that once you get one good name, it really helps. The American Express um, was a cornerstone of my career, to be honest. I'm, it, it built from there. Well, one of the things that, that we're going to talk about today is, is the success that you've had here last year. So in 2015, uh, we're recording this early in 2016, and last year you had a banner year. Uh, you, in fact, broke the six-figure mark, and you sat down and figured out what made you get there, what helped you get there. And I, I love kind of the analysis he came up with. And what I was hoping we could do, Jennifer, is maybe um, go through each of these six things that you identified, these six factors, um, and maybe you can speak to each of them um, in, in, in a bit of detail. So if it's okay with you, let's just go ahead and start. I mean, so what what did you attribute that that huge uh, spike in, in your income to? Um, the first one, and this is going to sound totally counterintuitive, is that in 2015, I actually had fewer clients than I did in previous years. Um, it was kind of funny. At the end of 2014, I was overwhelmed with 1099s. And I realized that they were all for smaller amounts. So one of my goals in 2015 was to have fewer clients, but to have them be for larger amounts um, over the year. When you have long-term clients, it benefits you in a lot of ways. Um, one is it reduces your marketing and your downtime because you get repeat work if you have a long-term client. And the second is that it increases your hourly rate. Because if you know the subject, if you know the client's tone, if you know the process, then you work faster and you have less revisions because you're hitting what they want the first time. So that's the big benefit for having fewer clients that represent a larger portion of your income. And I honestly think that was one of the the biggest reasons. Um, I had um, several anchor clients and I had sev several W-2s that, um, that were over... Ten to fifteen thousand dollars each, which really made a big difference. W twos being. I'm sorry, ten ninety nine. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, so now I'm curious because a lot of people say, "Well, yeah, I want that too," but I set that as a goal and it just doesn't happen. So um, without getting into a ton of detail, because I know we're going to talk more about this later, but how did you actually find those, or how did you attract those kinds of clients where before you were getting the the, the small potatoes? Um, one was, this is going to sound funny, but it was getting on the phone. Um, when you have a client that you really mesh with, that becomes a long-term client. And you get, 
when you when you sync up and you can figure out that you're a good fit, both personality, subject, and kind of what you want to achieve with the content and the writing, it, it works out a lot better on both sides. So I have found that having a 30-minute phone call before I take on any client is worth every single minute. So you make it a point to, to get off email early on and, and try to have that conversation with that prospect. Before I take on the client, yep. And yeah. I've gotten a lot better at figuring out what clients are going to like me. I mean, I have things I'm not as good at and things I'm better at. And if you can find a client that really values your strengths and is willing to work through your weaknesses, then you're going to get long-term work. And so by having that conversation up front and finding good matches, being better at spotting them, that was one of the ways that I got long-term clients. Perfect. Okay. So really fewer clients being more strategic, more selective. And I know that's easier said than done sometimes because you get an inquiry and it's good money. But, you know, if it's not the right fit, then you have to say no so you have room, right, for the bigger clients. And I also think it's important to realize what's an ideal client for you. For some writers, they, they like an ideal client that gives them a longer lead time. One of the things that differentiates me is I'm happy to turn things around pretty quickly if I have the time for my clients. So that's not a that's not a sticking point for me. So you want to represent, figure out who who's going to be for you specifically. Okay, very good point. Uh, so let's talk about the second second reason why you did so well last year. Um, is that I developed a high paying and in demand niche. This was kind of another thing that. Um, right place, right time, because of some good decisions that I had made previously. Um, I ended up getting a, um, a gig working for an agency I had done work for before, writing about data analytics. And data analytics became a very um, hot subject in the past year or two, and it's a specialized subject that not everyone can write about. So when you have a niche that there's less writers and it's in demand, you can command a higher um, a higher rate, and you also have less competition. I think this is so important for every writer to strategically figure out their niche. And I also think that you have to pick a niche that you're interested in, you're good at, and you enjoy writing about. Um, because if you try to pick something that's not a fit, you're slower, you're not as good, and it, it just doesn't work. It has to be authentic. It has to work for you and work in the marketplace. A great point. I would add that it should be a, a niche or a target market that has a demand for for writing, for content marketing, copywriting, whatever it is you do, and pays well. Because when I when I hear people talking about, well, I guess what I'm interested in is sewing, for instance. I mean, that that may not be the best the best niche, right, in terms of getting good money for your work. I, I, I totally agree with you, and I want to add that if you can find a way to also add a B2B component to whatever niche you have, that typically increases the demand and the um, rate that you can ask. Um, if you can have a B2B niche, that works even better. Great point. So the, the high-paying, in-demand niche Let's go to number three uh, in terms of negotiation. What's what's that about? I'm a terrible negotiator. <laughs> um, 
and it was kind of funny, and, and the turning point for me was my son who was about 10, I was on the phone with a client, and he listened to me basically go off my starting price $200 in three minutes. And he, I got off the phone and he said, Mom, why are you worth $200 less than when you started? Ooh. <laughs> Sharp um, kid. Yeah, it was it was kind of a reality moment. And if a 10-year-old could figure that out, I was obviously doing a terrible job. So this is really understanding your strengths and your weaknesses like I talked before. So for me, I am not good at negotiating on the phone um, because I want people to like me, to be happy, which is not a good business strategic trait. <laughs> um, so what I say is let me think about this and I'll get back with you in email. And I do negotiations over email, which has worked much better because then um, I have an accountability buddy who's a fellow writer. And so I can bounce ideas off with her um, as I'm negotiating and she always tells me to go higher. And I have time to think about it and I'm not put on the spot. So email works best for me. So it's figuring out what works better for you to be a better negotiator based on your personality. And you notice a difference just by kind of taking it off the phone into email and having that time to process, uh, right, some of the ideas and what you'd come back with? Absolutely. Over email, I have much more courage and I've asked for higher rates and gotten them that I would not have done over the phone. Um, and, and this may not be true for everybody, exactly the email versus the phone, but the, the bigger point is figuring out if you're not a good negotiator, what you can do to work to your own personality and strengths. Oh, that's a very good point. I think the standard advice out there is no, you need to get on the phone or in person, of course, which is not practical for most of us. But I disagree with that. I think you have to play to your strengths. And I'm kind of like you. I tend to be a better negotiator once I've had time to, to let the information sink in and simmer for a while. And um, you can, I, I'm not a I'm not quick on my feet when it comes to this sort of thing. So it is better if you can think about it. I think for most of us. So Yeah, and I think and I think a lot of writers writers are a little different than other business people. A lot of a lot of writers are introverts. A lot of writers love what they do. And so and this actually goes into the next point. So I think that that I think that, that tip will work well for a lot of writers. So let's talk about this next point. Uh, what what was this about? Um, I treated my freelance content marketing writing career really as a business. Um, and it was a switch in my head and how I presented it to myself. When people asked what I did, I used to say, I'm a writer. And um, at the beginning of 2015, I changed what I said. And I started to say, I own my own freelance writing business. And it sounds simple, but it changed how I view my business and um over to in 2015, I did the things that you do if you own a business. I finally invested in a high quality website, and previously I had just had a very basic um, site. And I um, started outsourcing more work to my virtual assistant, and I um, paid to attend um, Content Marketing World, which is uh, one of the biggest conferences for where my potential clients go fishing where the fish are. So I really started investing in my business and viewing it as myself as a business owner, not just a writer. 
Those are huge moves, and I agree with you. They may not sound like a lot, but that's uh, that's important. It sounds like you notice the difference right away. Absolutely, and I and I I was able to start making. When you view it that way, you make different business decisions. What's an example of that? Um, let me get back. Let me think about that, and I'll get back to you on that one. Okay, cool. I, I and I, but I do agree with you. I mean, I think the. That investment in content marketing world, for instance, just to comment on that, uh, that is not a cheap conference to go to. Uh, the, the ticket alone is is pretty expensive. It's over a thousand bucks. So the fact that you did that, um, that is not the kind of move that someone who thinks of themselves as a you know a hire a, a writer for hire right. would probably make. But someone who sees it knows they run a business sees it as an investment. And interestingly enough, um, that move has paid off tremendously. I'm actually speaking this year. So because I went, I learned a lot about the conference and was able to organize a panel through um, ASJA, and I'm actually a speaker. And because I'm a speaker, I was also asked by um, marketing profs to help teach a course on content marketing writing. Wow. So that one move has snowballed. Wow. But it all started by shifting your mindset and paying to go to the conference and um and i i anticipate that if you asked me that question after content marketing world and after speaking um that i will have even more results from that one move yep and it was all from shifting because for three years i had wanted to go to content marketing world since it began since i started doing it but i kept thinking i'm i'm just a writer i don't need to go it's a lot of money and then it was the i'm a business owner my husband owns his own business and he goes to conferences so why why shouldn't i since i'm a business owner as well interesting Good stuff. Okay, so moving on to point number five, uh, working with nice people. I love the sound of that. I, I'm sensitive. I um, and I find it stressful to work with people that aren't nice or are jerks or don't respect me for me. And um, and so when you're stressed, you don't do your best work. Uh, you do your best work when you're in a supportive environment, when you're part of a team, when you feel like you're contributing. And when you're not, when you're not involved in client drama. So I, as we talked about before with the vetting the clients for the long-term relationships, I, it also had the twofold of ending up with clients that I genuinely liked and were nice and, and liked me. And, and I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? It's uh, right. so stressful to work with people that you don't like. It, it really is. It, those are the when you work with people that you don't like, you you have a hard time. You have a hard time sitting down to work. You find yourself procrastinating. You have more health problems because you're stressed. It, it just really, it really has more of an impact than I think we we realize at the time. Because when I made that change, it made a huge shift, and it and it made me enjoy my job a lot more. And you know, Jennifer, I think a lot of people who listen to this might might be thinking, maybe not a lot of people, um, just trying to think of of what the reaction might be. Well, that sounds great, but you know, I take whatever I can get, and I, I have to keep going back to this mindset issue. That is not true. You've chosen to believe that. Um, so far, what you've shown here is that no, you made some decisions, and um, you you stuck to those. 
and it was hard, but it did make a difference. And I, I don't, I lived in a, and worked in a business. I had no choice. I had to work with people, many of whom I didn't really care for. Some of them I couldn't stand, but you know, I had a boss and I had to do what I had to do. And I told myself if, if, and when I go out on my own, I'm going to have more control over the kind of people I work with. And I think for a lot of people, that's a big one. It's more important than the money. It's, it's got to be, I have to enjoy the people I work with. I think you are so right. And that was one of the conscious decisions that I made um, was to take advantage of the two big um, benefits of being a freelancer, um, which is choosing who you work with and having the flexibility um, so one of the things I, I actually took a lot of vacation last year, um, which I hadn't done as much before of, um, and I only worked with nice people and had more control. I really tried to take advantage of those benefits. So let's go to the, the last point, um, that you uncovered. What was that about? Um, I made time writing for what I enjoy. I mean, data analytics just... I mean, I find it interesting, but it, it's not that fulfilling. It's not something that you feel you're making as much of a difference. Um, so most of us got into writing not because you, you're writing, being a writer is different than a lot of other jobs. Most of us probably consider that our identity. It's how we work out our problems. It's what we've done since we were kids. It's just, it's who we are, not what we do. And so when you, when it also becomes what you do, it's easy to not feed the part of the writer that um, is just so intrinsic. So I think that one of the things I did was try to write stuff that I liked to write about. Um, so I wrote some essays for The Mid, which was a um, parenting website um, about life and parenting. And it didn't get paid very much, but oh my goodness, that was so much fun. And also writing my blog, which I absolutely love. Um, it, I enjoy it. It makes me happy. And, and that makes the other part of writing that I, you know, the, the not as fun parts easier because you're also spending time writing in a way that fulfills you as well. And you, you were very clear, it seems like, why you were doing that, right? If you're yes. writing an article for the mid, it wasn't because of the pay. You were clear about that, so you didn't feel awkward. Absolutely, yes. Same thing with your um, blog. I make very conscious decisions if I'm writing for love or money or both. And by love, I mean something that I love. So if I'm writing about a topic that I care about deeply um, or if this is more of a business transaction, and I, I think of it as both. I think of both decisions um, when I take on a client. So th this, is, um, this is fascinating. And uh, the, these six reasons, are they, they make total sense. I think anyone can kind of follow that and, and, and maybe apply that to their business in a very conscious way week after week and, and, and improve what they're doing. But freelancing is not always rainbows and sunshine, though, isn't it? And, Absolutely uh, not. I know you've also shared with me that even though you had a banner year in 2015, uh, very early in 2016, things began to fall apart. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I thought I had 2016 all wrapped up where I didn't have to worry about clients. I had three big anchor clients, all that I was very excited about, and 
Um, I had taken most of December off, um, went back to work to sit down, and I had no work. And I didn't hear from these clients I was supposed to start with in January or work that was supposed to continue. And I wasn't hearing back. And over the first couple weeks, I realized that um, two of the projects were delayed in indefinitely and still haven't picked up due to reorganizations at the companies. Um, and one was for a very large tech company I was very excited about. And the other was a um, large tech company that um, cut their the content that I had been doing for them by 75%. Um, and considering that I, they were uh, a fourth of my income in 2015, that's a pretty large chunk. So I literally had very little work the beginning of 2016. Wow. Ta-da. Welcome 2016. <laughs> what do you do? You thought you had uh, maybe another six-figure year in the works, and suddenly there's almost nothing there. So what what did you do? You know, I took it as a challenge because I've been blogging for three years about how to make money as a content marketing writer. But for the past two, I've gotten really lucky where the work's really come to me. I have not had to market very much. I was at the point where the work was coming to me. So I decided it was a challenge to make sure that the advice that I'd been giving out really worked um, and to hopefully maybe inspire some other people. Or if what I had been saying didn't work, then I needed to re redo the advice. So I took it as a challenge as a game, and I um, made a list for my blog readers of a bunch of different marketing activities and did a January marketing challenge and did it myself. So I'm I'm curious because it hasn't been that long. Uh, let's let's start with the results. So just so people okay. know, what what has come out of that so far that you can can attribute to it? Um. So after 45 days of marketing, I ended up with a about fifty thousand dollars in client gigs um, that are signed in contract for the next year um, as well as a number of very warm prospects that should turn into client gigs um, and actually um, actually I take that back it's now sixty four thousand um, in 12 month contracts holy cow so in 45 days of prospecting and marketing, you're able to generate $64,000 in, in basically booked work uh, for the year. And, and, and one of them, to be, to be honest, is a 12-month contract that's worth um, about $36,000. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's, that's massive. Uh, so you were in panic mode uh, early in January. Now that we know the results, so let's drill down a little bit. Can you walk us through exactly what you did? Because I know you documented much of this. Yes, I did because I wanted to see if it worked. Um, so I sent out 53 letters of introductions to content marketing agencies I'd previously not contacted. Um, I sent out five to trade publications that were very specific to, I write about hospitality technology, so they were very targeted. I um, decided to no longer be lame on Twitter, and I started targeting um, content marketing agencies and content marketing managers specifically on Twitter. And, and doing what uh, um, there? Following them, um, which actually ended up turning into me simply following a local content marketing manager, um, I got a $2,500 contract already, and hopefully we'll get more work from them just from one Twitter follow. Wow. 
he followed me back, direct messaged me and said, hey, you know, I'm in, um, in Durham. Um, we were going to the same conference. Let's connect. So it's, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting. Who said that Twitter was dead? Yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> um, and the other thing that I did was I followed up on um, 15 letters of introduction that I sent out in 2015. Um, and then I checked in with five previous clients to see if they had new projects. And the next one I did was checked in with a new client whose project had gotten delayed to see if they had other projects. Both of those moves were where most of my success was. Do you want me to keep going through what I did or talk, or talk about those? Uh, actually, could we give us a little more detail? So that Because I think this is one of the areas where a lot of people miss out on. I, I, yep. I believe and strongly believe because I see it all the time that one of the biggest sources of opportunity is in previous clients, dormant. And past clients. Yes. And people tell me, yeah, but you know, I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to get better. I get that. But if you're in that situation where you need to generate something fast, your highest probability source is going to be people who already trust you, who already have worked with you. Um, so I'm curious what you did. Like, how do you go back to someone you haven't worked with in a long time? It's kind of awkward, especially if you haven't been in touch. Hey, you know, Bill, I know it's been a long time. What's up? So what I was really honest with people. I said, hey, I want to touch back base. Um, um, I'm expanding. Um, I'm, I have some openings right now because three of my large projects got canceled or delayed. Um, do you need any content marketing writing? I was very honest. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that worked really well because it showed that I was in demand and everybody understands that stuff happens in business. Um, the one client that ended up giving me the 36000 I was very honest, um, specifically what happened, and said, hey, just want to let you know um, that I am available and that I have a lot of free time. And she said, we will definitely keep you in mind. Wow. Okay. Excellent. So, so you checked in with previous clients, uh, projects that had gotten delayed before. Uh, and one of the things I did with a new client whose project had gotten delayed to see if they had others, it was an agency. They had found me through my financial niche. They didn't really realize that I also did a lot of tech. So I emailed them back and said, hey, I want to let you know about my, that I do a lot of technology writing. Here's some clips. And within three days, I had several very, um, very large tech companies um, that Verizon and Hewlett Packard, I got on their client list as um, their projects because of that. I love that. So you did something that I think is very important is if you're going to follow up with people, don't just say, hey, you got anything. Um, come up with a reason. The reason is so important. It doesn't have to be an you know, incredible reason, but you found a good one. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but I also write about this. I'm yep. also, you know, an expert or you know, I'm well versed in this on this topic, and look at that. I mean, it 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 worked. Yeah, and I also think that that a good way is if you if you go back to a previous client, you can say, "Hey, I wanted to let you know that I um, got a lot of expertise in data analytics over the past year. Here's some of my new clips. Let them know what you've done, what new value you added to yourself that you can bring back to them. Or um, I've learned a lot about social media. I'd love to help you with that. Like 
show what you have to add and also if there's been something that you've talked about um, in the past with them that maybe they wanted to do bring that back up maybe they've forgotten yeah oh g- great stuff great stuff okay so so let's move on to to some of the other things you did then um, I applied to some job ads I updated my LinkedIn profile with my new niches um, and with the new brands that I had worked for in 2015, I get a lot of work through LinkedIn, people finding me um, through LinkedIn. Um, I updated my website with new clips that had gotten out of date. I followed up with five people I'd met in person. I sent an email to three writers in my niche to see if they had any leads. They were all, and these were writers that I had sent leads to in the past. So I really think it's important to network with other writers. So um, I did not get work that way, but I I very easily could have had it been the right time. Yeah, you never know. Um, And I attended a local conference um, hosted by the American Marketing Association. And um, those were the main things that I did. Was that uh, where you ended up connecting with that prospect who ended up hiring you? Um, we actually didn't talk there, but we were both there. We were supposed to, yes. And going, him knowing that I was going to that conference, I believe, made a difference because it showed that I was serious about my business. Yeah, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, yep. doesn't it? I, I, I have found that when you go to conferences you, as a freelancer, you're very well respected and you're seen in a different light. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a small percentage of people who do it. So. Yep. A couple of questions about what you just shared. One is, um, and I'll work backwards. So LinkedIn, you said that you do get a lot of inquiries through LinkedIn. Uh, So when you updated your profile, uh, other than updating the clients you'd worked with, did you update? Do you have your niche as part of your title? Because I know that's been very effective for a lot of people. Yes. Um, I can't remember. I'm not sure if I do right now. I've gone back and forth. I definitely have B2B. Um, in my title, and that makes a big difference. Um, it may be in my title. Um, it's it definitely in the summary. I have the niches in there several times, and I think that is very por- important to be very specific. And not just technology, but I have I write about data analytics, cloud computing, computing, and data security. Yeah. So if there's some topics or sectors or any specifics that you can add, it seems like that. That makes a difference in terms of people searching in LinkedIn and finding you. I found a lot. I get a lot more people finding me since I added data analytics instead of just technology. I think the more specific you can be, the better. So it's interesting that you say that because I've heard from, I want to say, three different people in the past two weeks who have told me the same thing. He said, Ed, it's weird. I updated my profile. I added some more specifics in my title and in my description. And I've been flooded with inquiries and good quality inquiries. Yep. And in one case, she's told me, my gosh, they're insisting that I go that I go uh, work. It's a 20-hour-a-week retainer. Um, it's crazy. She's like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want it. I got a lot going on. But they're, they're really pursuing her. I actually had yesterday um, a, a good-sized, well-known tech company that's local to me um, – had found me on LinkedIn and wanted me um, very specifically. They had a position they thought was a full-time position they thought was perfect for me um, and were pursuing me that way. I was not interested in full-time, but we will hopefully do freelance at some point in the future. And they found me totally on LinkedIn. Wow. 
So yeah, take note, guys. This it's definitely worth doing. The other question I had was letters of introduction. So what approach do you take there? Like, what's a what's the format uh, that they use? Um, and interesting, I found that to be the least effective in all of this. Uh-huh. Um, if they were cold LOIs, and I do recommend still doing them, but I got I got very little response from those. Um, the format that I do is um, focusing on my niche and explaining, um, kind of presenting what I can do for the client. So what skills do I bring that are unique? What experiences do I bring? I also mentioned um, the brands I've worked for and the publications. So whatever makes you stand out from the crowd of writers. And for me, one of the things that helps is the brands I've worked for. So I highlight that. And uh, I know you say letter, but it's is it typically in an email form? Oh, absolutely, yes. And I've been told by a number of content marketing managers um, and editors that the shorter the better. So I've actually heard five sentences. I can't keep it to five, but I, I did <laughs> heed that and try to keep it shorter than I did. Okay, excellent. Wow. So this is this is pretty huge. Um, I, I'm curious in terms of, you know, you gave some very specific action steps that you took, but overall, what did you learn from this experience here over the past three, four months? I've learned that there is plenty of work out there and that if you're not able to find it, that you need to step back and figure out how better to be looking for the people that need your specific skills and how to be better presenting yourself so that they can see what value you provide to them. But if you're not finding work, I it's not because it's not out there. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I've and I we've all been there, right? Where the well dries up mm-hmm. and then you start wondering if the world's falling apart. Yes. Oh, okay. And and I had three days that were not pretty before I started my marketing campaign, just to be totally honest, um, where I, I wondered if, you know, I was a fraud, if all my success had been, you know, a fluke, if there was no more work, you know, all the things you say to yourself when you're in a pickle. Yeah, it's, uh, but it's interesting and in, in I've, I've fallen prey to that. I think everyone has, and I'm glad that you confirmed that, that, you did feel like that. You had three horrible days where you thought, oh, maybe is it because it's an election year or companies like closing their doors? What, like what's going on? And it has nothing to do with that. It's just, right, our reality is what's around us. And that's that was your perception. I think this is the best time to – people talk about, you know, the good old days of freelance writing with the dollar a word, $2 a word glossies that they're gone, I really think this is the best time possible to be a freelance writer because with the um, content that's needed and content marketing, every business is a potential client. Everybody needs our skills as writers. So I think this is a fantastic time to be a writer. So related to that, Jennifer, what would you say to somebody who says, yeah, but it seemed to be a lot of writers out there. Is the market saturated? I think you have to find where you're unique, figure out what you have to offer. Maybe it's a specific um, type of writing. Maybe it is a specific um, industry niche. 
and find those people that need you. So you want to stand out from the crowd. And the way to do that is to find the people that value your skills, your expertise, and your strengths, those type of clients. I think and it doesn't matter if there's a thousand writers applying. If your you know, heads and tails have something very unique, you're going to stand out. So related to that, do you, do you still feel it's very realistic to earn six figures as a freelance writer? Absolutely. If you want to. You know, that's so important, right? It's, it's not, it shouldn't be everybody's goal. <laughs> no, it really shouldn't. And I have to say that um, I have kids and up until, and they're now teenagers, but up until this year, I, I really didn't want to. And I still haven't decided if I, um, if it's my goal for 2016 or if, it, if my goal is to, to work less hours and make the, you know, part-time equivalent, as you say, Ed. Um, so, yeah, it has to be your goal. It has to be something that you want. Because one of the things as a freelancer is our ability to have the flexibility and and use that to whatever you need in your life. If it's more money, if it's more time, that that's why we're freelancers. I am with you. Well, so that's a great place to to end. And but before we do that, Jennifer, you, first of all, you have a fantastic blog. I, I love your work and. I want others to know about it. So where can they read your blog? Where can they connect with you? Where they can, where can they find out more about what you do? Um, yes. Um, I have a blog called The Content Marketing Writer, and it's at my website, which is Jennifer Gregory, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, GregoryWriter.com, um, backslash blog. And you can also um, search Jennifer Goforth Gregory. Um, and find my website. It's Jennifer G-O-F-O-R-T-H Gregory. Well, we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes so people can check out your stuff, connect with you. And uh, thanks for coming on. This is this is great information. I'm inspired just listening to you. And um, I know that, that our listeners feel the same way. Oh, thank you. I, I really think that anyone that puts their mind to it, that has the desire and is persistent. I I really think that persistence is the most important quality to be a successful freelance writer more than writing. The ability to pull yourself up, to keep going, to, to just keep at it. I think persistence is really the number one quality that you have to have to be successful. And anyone that's willing to be persistent and work hard, there's absolutely no reason that you could not make six figures or whatever your goal is. If you're strategic about it, think of it as a business and are persistent. So there you go, folks. You heard it from Jennifer. <laughs> it's not just me telling you. Uh, it's someone who's actually doing it right now. So, uh, great and thank stuff. you, Ed, for all your good work and for, that you do for writers. I really appreciate it. I've been listening to you for a long time. My pleasure. It's an honor to have you here, Jennifer. Thanks for sharing these ideas with us. Thanks, Ed. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And again, you can grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 103. It makes for a really good summary of the key points we discussed and, of course, any links that were mentioned in the show. And if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, hey, welcome to summer. 
This weekend marks the official start of summer. And if you're traveling anytime over the next couple of months, I hope you consider taking me with you on your trip. Now, not literally, although depending on where you're going, I may want to sneak into your suitcase, but consider taking me with you on your phone. Subscribing to the High Income Business Writing Podcast through a podcast app on your smartphone is the easiest way to stay on top of this show and the content that I produce for you every couple of weeks and ensure that you always have some useful content with you for these long road trips and airport layovers. It's super easy to do this. If you haven't done it yet, don't worry. If you have a smartphone, simply go to the podcast app on your phone. So if, if you have an iPhone, there's already an uh, app for podcasting included in your iPhone. Uh, or you can download any of the many podcast apps on that are available on the iOS store and Android app store. And then once, once you have it downloaded, search for and subscribe to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. And that way, next time you need some quality content to keep you company, it will be just a couple of taps away on your phone. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Again, I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. Take care. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.